Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of FKB Full Kit Banter. My name is Pascal, your host for this evening. I'm joined once again by Nate, Sash, and Lionel. BK, we miss you, but he's uh, having a great time in New Zealand, I believe. Uh, so hope I got that right. But um, yeah, guys, it's one of the first uh, game weeks. It's certainly the first game week of this season where um, all our respective clubs picked up victories. Um, haven't had this for a while. Obviously, we have one game in particular that really stands out just for the brutality we saw on the pitch. Um, the other games all uh, ended in victories, but albeit in different manners, we'll get to those in a bit. Um, of course, we have matches uh, tomorrow and Thursday, midweek fixtures, and then almost straight away we have match day six on the weekend as per usual so lots of football um coming thick and fast but yeah guys um i wanted to start the episode off by by talking about the destruction at enfield uh much was made about the demise of liverpool and actually much was made of the demise of Firmino, and true enough in (laughs) fkb fashion <laughs> I mean, are we even surprised at this point? <laughs> he played like prime Ronaldinho, but mm-hmm. that's the thing about Firmino. I think that like the commentary um, pointed out that this was Firmino's first goal at Anfield since 2020. No way! Which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I heard it. I was like, "What? Like that can't be right." And I looked it up, and it was right. So, Jeez. yeah, man. But Bobby obviously was the the centerpiece of that game. Uh, you kind of knew the writing was on the wall after five minutes. Um, and Burnley, uh, not Burnley, Bournemouth really just played in, into our hands. Like it's almost like they didn't learn anything from watching the successes of the likes of Fulham, Palace, and and Man United. But then again, people forget. You know, this is Liverpool side that. Uh, was in the UCL final, ran City right to the death. So they didn't become a bad side overnight. Also, they were reeling and from the loss against United. And yeah, it was just a perfect storm. Yeah. It's like they just unleashed all their like anger on Bournemouth. And S- some yeah, anger, I, man. Nine, nine new. <laughs> I don't think I've seen Liverpool rack up nine goals in the Prem. I know, I know for a fact I haven't because they they hadn't done it before. But the biggest scoreline I saw in a Liverpool game since I've been a fan was. I believe 8-0 against Besiktas, which was like mm. way back, I think in like 2006 or something in the Champions League. But I think the most recent one was when you guys beat Palace 7-0 away. Like every Correct. shot you yeah, guys yeah, yeah. Close. took yeah. went in, yeah. But for some reason, that game, like even though the score lines were, were not too different, I don't think, like Palace had their moments in that game. And the goals kind of came late when... You know how it is, right? Like, I think it was 4 or 5 nil. I think Palace kind of gave up and we just scored 2 or 3 in, like, the last 5 or 10 minutes. Here, it was 5 nil by 35 minutes and it didn't look like it was letting up. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of... It's, it's a, it was a very strange game to watch, like... I, I uh, turned the TV on at, uh, I think it was, like, 40 minutes and they were up 4 nil already. I was like, What? I couldn't believe it. Like I missed so much. Yeah, it was it's kind of shocking defending. Like I'll let some of y'all like chime in about the game because I'm assuming we all kind of caught it. But Bournemouth, f- for all the the good work they did on match day one against 
what has to be said in hindsight now is like a really disjointed Aston Villa. They've just looked completely out of their depth against City, Arsenal and Liverpool. And yes, you know, you travelling to the Emirates. Oh, no, no, no. They, they played City away, yes. Yeah. So playing at like Man City, then playing Arsenal at home, then going to Anfield is never going to be easy. But I think the manner of the defeats were quite hard to defend. And, and as we saw um, just, I think, a couple of hours ago, Scott Parker paid the price for that, which um, we'll get into it a bit. But um, we'll start off with you, Sash. Like, what do you think about the game as a whole? Like, What did we really learn about Liverpool? Was it more like just we are accustomed to this, it's just that they were extra ruthless on the day or were there things about the performance that maybe surprised you, based, especially based on that disappointing result against Man U? Yeah, just to touch on your point about them not learning from basically the teams that played you before. I think right now they didn't take advantage that your current midfield is not in tip-top condition. You know, um, Fabinho was reintroduced to the side again. I think he, he set out the United game because he was feeling a niggling injury or what whatever Klopp had said during the post-match conference. And then, um, I think just play into your hands, you know, you can't go to Anfield and, and defend like that without having an outlet to kind of relieve the pressure because one thing that you need to do to bypass the Liverpool pressing game is to play a long ball. And I think Bournemouth didn't do that at all. So basically, they were just pinned throughout. And it was quite evident because you guys scored quite a lot of your goals from, was it, haters and all that because Bournemouth yeah. defended in the deep line. So the only way, you, you can't really tiki-taka your way through unless, you know, you are Man City. But I think DS, you know, the, the shocking thing was he actually scored from two haters, <laughs> which was... um. A bit of a shocker because he's not well known for doing that. Uh, hey, he's I, got quite the leap, man. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's a bit like... A little bit like Mane, you know. You know, Mane is not really that tall, but he's really good in the air. And I was kind of shocked that... I, I mean, you know, Bournemouth centre-backs, they're actually not that short. They're all pretty huge, but... I don't know how they managed to let a midget like him score two goals from hitters. And then... um. Yeah, I, I don't really know what's know what's wrong with Bournemouth. I think they look like uh they really look like a championship side because I think they have not made any signings of Premier League quality. Which is uh I think the reason why if if the listeners did not know, mm. Scott Parker has been sacked. I think uh the news broke out around two hours ago. Yeah. And I, I think the reason because of that is I, I don't think it's because of the nine nil, it's because he Allegedly, Nine played a part, but yeah. yeah, yeah, he he yeah he pretty much said in in his uh, post match press conference he pretty much admitted that they weren't Premier League quality. Yep, and he said that results like these were going to happen mm-hmm. happen more often. Which is if you are like uh you know the 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 Bournemouth you know board or like CEO, that's not what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't say I'm too shocked by the decision, but. Um, yeah, but not to kick, not, mm-hmm. not to rub like salt in the wounds of Scott Parker, but it also, I think the three games, yes, they were against very difficult opposition, but he didn't really do himself any favours um, by not, 
he didn't really address any of the mistakes he saw. Like, I mm-hmm. think the way Liverpool started was very similar to how Arsenal started. And it just so happens Arsenal were more profligate mm-hmm. and I guess weren't in such a violent mood. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it, it's interesting to see where Bournemouth go from here because. You know, like, it, it's the worst weekend this could have happened, right? You have two games coming thick and fast. Mm-hmm. Could very well be, be two another two L's on the spin. Yeah, but the the funny thing was... Um, or rather, not, not really the funny thing. Like, all the four matches that Bournemouth had uh, played so far, like, the only hashtag easy match was the one against Villa, which they did win. Mm-hmm. So... I think the Premier League also kind of did Bournemouth a, a dirty one Very by giving dirty. them <laughs> like um, was it City, Arsenal and Liverpool, Liverpool. in their first four matches. Yeah. So I think Scott Parker did really well to get to, to win the only On match paper, he, was, like yeah. no one would have really faulted like if you told Bournemouth fans after the fixture list came out you're going to have three points after four games most of them really would have been happy, pretty, I guess. Yeah realistic about it but I think it's mm-hmm. just the manner of the defeats and and how Scott the, Parker carried the, the himself press conference. Out. Yeah. yeah 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 so another shock of the weekend was you know Mo Salah not getting any attacking Bro, returns which was like he just ripped <laughs> FPL for all parallel of universe <laughs> and he had chances it's not like he didn't yeah. have chances he like missed an open goal how he the hell did he miss that? Like, I, I don't get it I, I would have scored I, it yeah. <laughs> I had a joke with my like I think cousin about it if mm-hmm. it was nil nil or one nil, he scores that. Mm-hmm. But because it was three or four nil, I think he just kind of just like took his eye off the ball, like literally. Maybe. Um, no one can explain. Like it's it's just fright, and you could tell how desperate he was <laughs> as the match was about to end. Like you mm-hmm. could tell he really wanted to score, and he wanted to be the one to get the record breaking tenth goal. Yep. But it's almost like. Like quicksand, you know. The more you fight it, the more desperate you are, the the less it will happen. And just not meant to be. Not meant to be. <laughs> it, it was just kind of like from a, especially from an FPL perspective, it was just funny to like watch because I think I was listening to like some YouTuber and they said the the odds of Salah not having a single goal contribution when Liverpool scored nine was something like one is to like a million or something. <laughs> So yeah, and it happened. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> oh well, yeah. I, I I mean I got nothing else to say about the game. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. But like, like I said, we have a lot of games coming up, so you know we can't really celebrate the nine 0 for too long. We have an interesting match against Newcastle, who still remain undefeated. Um, I think it was two wins and two draws at the moment. They rescued a point against Wolves at the weekend. A brilliant goal by by Alan Maxima, who looks in great form. Or should I say looked? Because it seemed like at the end of that match, he picked up an injury. So how much do you think he's going to be a miss uh, against Liverpool if he, if he doesn't pass uh, that, late fit, that late fitness test? I think if Cash, who is our Newcastle correspondent, was on mm. the episode right now, he will be extremely... Um, and confident about you guys about Newcastle picking up a point at Anfield because right now as it stands if St. Maximin is indeed ruled out after a late fitness test they will be without Bruno Guimaraes Callum Wilson and the said St. Maximin and 
without the three of them, right, Newcastle look a very different team because that's basically the three best players, you know, minus Kieran Trippier, who I think passed a late fitness test, so he should be fit enough to start the game at Anfield. But from what I've watched, uh, you know, last weekend, they looked horrible against Wolves. They didn't really look like the Newcastle team that played so well against yeah, Man City. Yeah, they were, they were really lucky to get that point. I thought Wolves deserved more. Yeah. And you could tell by their reactions, by the full-time whistle, they were so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Chris Wood's not it. Like, the drop-off from Wilson to Wood is just night and day. And do you think It's also Isak they have to completely starts? change their style of play. Yeah. Do you think Isak starts? Liverpool might be a bit too soon. I, mm-hmm. I do think he's on the bench though. I think he'll be on the bench, but... To actually start your first game against like Van Dijk and Gomez, mm. I, I don't it's know. It's a how baptism we'll of fire, man. Yeah, I, I mean, he's been there, I think, almost a week. So my guess would be he'd be on the bench. I think whatever I think it is, just yeah. try Chris Wood up front. Whatever yeah. it is, I think Chris Wood needs to play his best in terms of like holding up the ball because as we saw from Bournemouth, if you park the bus at Anfield, you're just inviting pressure on and against a pretty ravenous and loud Liverpool crowd, you know, it will spur the players on and if Newcastle play the way like they did, right, could see Liverpool racking up a, like a 4-5 nil win and I think nah, the only way... Nah, trying to FKB curse us. Nah, nah, dude. <laughs> Stop. Nah, dude, like, no, you, you look at the players that are available for Newcastle, right, it's just not good I, I I mean like if you're gonna compare that Bournemouth squad and that Newcastle squad based on the players that are readily available for the Liverpool game right it's not really much of a step up I mean I, I'm not saying Newcastle will lose 9-0 but I expect a pretty heavy defeat if but that know, that backline though like you have, you have bags of experience there right surely they'll be able to and not to mention, you have a more experienced manager in Eddie Howe who's sort of been there before. I don't think he has a particularly good record at Anfield, but I I think it might be closer than you're making out to be, though. Like it might what? depend. I uh, feel like uh, Newcastle would... They, they are better drilled in terms of like sitting back. Like Even their attackers tend to drop deep to defend as a team. Like You see Joe Linton sometimes playing all the way back in, in his own half, so... I think, if anything, I don't think they would lose by that heavier margin. But I don't, without Alan St. Maximan and Wilson and Bruno, right, I, I don't see them getting anything out of the game either. Unless mm. maybe through a set piece, maybe someone wins, like Almiron manages to get up high enough, wins a free kick, then, then you have a chance with Trippier. Or maybe through a, like a corner and something like that, but... Oh, Besides uh, that, uh, there's not much outlet or yeah, hold up. I mean, striker. just to clarify, a uh, heavy defeat, I, I mean like 3 to 4 nil. As in, I think right. 5 nil might be a little bit of a stretch. But 3 to 4 nil is still pretty much a heavy defeat. Plausible. Yeah. Plausible, yeah. I'll, I'll throw in another thing in there. We, we mentioned earlier that, you know, they're playing games on Thursday as well as Saturday. Newcastle have a very quick turnaround against Crystal Palace, so perhaps as well. Mm, it'll be interesting to see their lineup, especially with most of their like you guys mentioned, their like quote unquote best players are out right. So maybe they might put a more makeshift team against Liverpool 
with the with the sole intention of trying to frustrate and, and get a goal on the break perhaps and then turn their attention to Crystal Palace when maybe their new signings are a bit more up to speed and some of the players like you mentioned earlier like Bruno Gumares and Callum Wilson will be fit so I think Eddie Howe might play this one a bit more conservative but it'll be interesting to see how how they line up I think it's going to be I I I think Willock will be playing that left attacking midfield role where the one where Saint Maximin was doing mm. so well in and I think he's going to try to flood the midfield because uh, like I said right right now um was it Elliot Fabinho and who was playing that Henderson Henderson yeah that that doesn't really scream quality right now yeah I know they did well against Bournemouth but reality check it is Bournemouth and yeah, I think what you need to do is just to to go man for man in the midfield and hopefully stop that supply line from coming through. And you know, with Trent, I think he he is that weak link in that Liverpool defense right now. Yeah, he gives you a lot attacking wise, but he can be gotten at uh, mm. on the counter. Especially if Sam Max was fit, I mm. would have been very yeah. uh, uh, unconfident. Nervy. <laughs> yeah, nervy is the word. Uh, especially <laughs> after seeing what he did to Carl Walker, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, if it's Joe Willock, I'll probably... You're, you're losing a big weapon, especially like you guys po- have pointed out, against a particularly weak area, right? Like, like it's it's kind of so obvious if you were like analysing the game, like that's Newcastle's best sort of route to a goal. But mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to have to think on their feet because um, also a rampant Liverpool, they'll be like very like confident after the win. Salah will be pissed off. Because he didn't score, so um, yeah, interesting game, and it, that that I think will be a real test of Newcastle's credentials as well. Um, if they can get something from their game after uh, getting a point against Man City, will Nunes be back already by then? This is gonna be Nunes's final match of his suspension, so okay, he'll be back for the Everton game, which he might get sent off again, so. I don't know, man. Like Yeri Mina is gonna be licking his lips, cause he's a he's a the king of shit housery, and yeah, if Nunes can't keep his emotions in check, uh, he'll be the first guy I think ever to get back to back red cards for Liverpool. I think, um, yeah, talking about the Everton game, right? Klopp would be silly if he was chose to start Nunes because. Right now, I, I think Nunes is still a child. Like he needs to get his temper in check, and it's way too easy to provoke him. There's kind of no need as well, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think right now Nunes is gonna be, be put out of the firing line and back of the line Firmino, again. Yeah. yeah, Firmino. I mean, you can't drop Firmino after what he did against. Oh Bono, no, hundred percent. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with that said, Liverpool uh two. Relatively tricky fixtures um, coming up. But speaking of that, right, we had uh, this next team that we're going to talk about. They kind of went through a a team that were, I would... I don't think it's unfair to classify them as their bogey side. I think Lionel would know more than I, but... Uh, 4-2 against Crystal Palace. 2-0 down at halftime. 
but I was really not even that confident. <laughs> I could I could smell a comeback. Um, I I didn't I, I won't be as bold enough to admit that I I I sensed the Harlan hat trick coming, but this city side just doesn't seem to know when, like, to lie down and. It's almost like as an opposing team, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Because if you race into a lead, you then wake awaken a sleeping giant and then you get slapped up. So what do you then do, right? Do you like score early and hope for the best? Or do you just park the bus and try to nick a goal in the dying second so they can't come back? Uh, Lionel, like, we'll get your thoughts on that, right? Um, have you sort of become accustomed to like the comebacks now? Do you ever feel nervy anymore or are you just like don't worry like we've got this like even if we're 2-0 down with like 15 minutes to go uh, I'm confident of at least getting a point from any situation now you know that's a really good question like I think you know most 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 teams whenever they play against City they they always play in a very very conservative manner so whenever they get like one new up or two new up right they tend to just park the bus and defend with every Every hand on on deck, and that really make and like as a fan, whenever I watch that, right, like City have to pull a comeback. It's very frustrating because it's just the team, it's just the team holding their line and the team not wanting to advance forward, which makes it very very difficult for City to penetrate through. But I think now, it's clearly a, a different story. You know, City have came back from, uh, being three. I think it was three one down against Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, um, City recently just came back after being two, two new down against Palace, and like you know, it just shows the 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 grit and the the mental fortitude that City have, uh. or or the maybe from the words of Jurgen Klopp, mentality monsters. I think you guys have taken over that mental because, yeah, it's it's like even for me as a rival fan, um, I don't think I I ever get my hopes up when you I see you guys trailing anymore, but. That being said, right, I want to throw another question your way. Is the manner and the the amount of goals you guys are conceding worrying at all? Because, yes, at the moment, you guys can probably come back against anybody, but there will probably be a match where y'all might have bitten off more than you can chew because also looking at the teams y'all have come back against, you know, Newcastle, we just discussed their sort of defence without... Um, they, are, they are big players Crystal Palace who Maybe have a bit of a soft underbelly And Villa at the back end of last season But what if this happens Against like A I don't know <laughs> I, I almost said Man United I mean Man United why not In a high stakes Manchester derby Or even against Like um, an Antonio Conte Led Spurs side You know like would you still remain as confident if the goals are coming in against these sort of bigger teams or do you still think like doesn't matter who the opposition is like what matters is that it's it's man city who is playing against these teams i i think i think uh, at this point of time right like as being a fan for many years now i've i've never really seen city um a city squad like this where they have such um I would say like this winning mentality where they want to fight back no matter uh, how stacked the odds are against them. So I think against any team in the Premier League right now, I, mm. I feel that um, 
whenever I watch, I feel a sense of uh, uh, composure because I feel that uh, City have what it takes to make that comeback. When, when, when Palace were 2 down, 2-0 up against City, right? I, to be honest, I didn't really panic because I felt like, you know, um, City actually were, were, has the caliber to, to pull this off. It's just that the problem with City this season is that we always have uh, quite slow starts. We, we start yeah. the game in like gear one and then after halftime, after uh, Pep's like um, dressing room talk, and then suddenly everyone switches back on and then we go back into full full gear. So um, I I think to answer your question, I feel really um, calm now, uh, no matter who City play against. But of course, I think uh, in one of the recent um, interviews, uh, I think just today, Pep did uh, point out that City's defence is uh, looking rather shabby because uh, we have been conceding goals uh, left, right and centre. We're not so, really accustomed to it as well, yeah. It's, yeah, because yeah. last it was it's a totally different complexion from last season where City was so defensively solid, but maybe not scoring as many goals. So it's like, um, it's a very different City that we see now. And even in the way they play, I think it's because the way they play, where uh, now the fullbacks of City, um, they try to to divert and go into the midfield to double up as a number six. Instead of you know last season where they they go they run along the flanks where in that manner they provide more cover to the defense. So I think the way Pep has re-strategized um, his play, style of play um, has kind of affected um, how City were in terms of their defensive form. Yeah, I think that's something that's very uh it's quite uh, observable in the couple of games. City yeah, I was so I was reading this article. I think it's from the Elect- Athletic. Tifo Athletic Wait I'm getting the name wrong Is it Tifo Athletic Or is it just Athletic football I think it's just The Athletic Or the Athletic Yeah so basically They were kind of Comparing how Pep is setting up This current city side To integrate Haaland To the team With uh, The Hungarian Footballing team Of maybe In the 1950s Where uh, Basically Like like Puskas generation Yeah Basically that So that kind of playing in a, a mirror WM formation, whereas uh, the defense is kind of set up in a W shape. So Cancelo and Walker, like my brother said, kind of tucked in into midfield with Rodri holding that particular position. And of course, the the defenders, Diaz and Stones, in like anchoring the, that W, that kind of small W type of formation. And then the, the, the front five, they're kind of mirrored in, in a M formation. So it's kind of like a Harlan up top. And then, no, sorry. It's a MW formation or however you look at it. So basically they're playing with two number eights in De Bruyne and Gundogan. Or uh, De Bruyne and who was that? Bernardo, depending on how Pat wants to rotate his midfielders. And then Foden and Alvarez or Mares will kind of like hold the wave on the wings. So, this is good in such a way that uh, they can control games, but to the detriment, they will be very vulnerable on the counter as as we, as we all watch in that Newcastle game, right? Because basically, Almiron and in particular, St. Maximin, they're kind of destroying the wingers out 
Uh, they could kind of double up, right? Yeah, like, exactly. I think City are a bit vulnerable to the double up now. Mm-hmm, correct. Because, um, yeah, because like uh, my brother said, the, the fullbacks who were supposed to cover the wingers out wide, they're now tucked in the center, which which leaves like wingers to counter-attack that space in between the fullbacks and the centre-backs right now. But uh, it's kind of what you, you need to do in order to kind of play to Haaland's strengths. Because right now, I think all the wingers are just tasked to do is just pass the ball to Haaland. And just when, feed him. Yeah, just, just, yeah. Feed, just feed Haaland and he'll score, which he did la, <laughs> to the detriment of Palace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we talked a lot about City without even touching on like Haaland. And I, I mean, if not for that 9-0 drubbing at Anfield, he would have definitely stolen the headlines. I mean, to an extent, I think he did. Um, just because the manner of the comeback the manner of the goals, you know. Uh, all three goals were, like, pretty different. Like, I think the first one was a bit... Sure, it was, like, a six-yard box, like, header, but I thought his patience um, and movement, waiting for Foden to, like, whip that ball in, which um, I think it wasn't as sexy as KDB's pass against Newcastle, but the technique Foden used to deliver that cross was, like, immaculate. Second goal was just Haaland jogging on the spot, like what any top number nine or like what any top striker would do. Like he's pretty much gambling that the ball like finds its way to his feet. And then the fourth goal, I think, um, before we started recording, Sash, um, you said it was prime Drogba, is that it? Was it Drogba? Yeah, prime Drogba. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, there was just pure like physical attributes, like, and the finish to Yeah, just to cut in, it kind of reminded me of when. Senderos tried his best to physically manhandle Drogba, but he just he just bounced off him. It's just yeah. When I, when I saw that when uh Harlan kind of brushed, who was it Ward or Anderson, whoever was the Palace defender, I immediately thought of that particular battle that happened you know a few mm. years ago, very very Drogba esque. Yeah, it's just a it was just a class performance all around. But that being said, right. <laughs> the silver lining might but it's so weird like how do you drop a player after he scores a hat trick because you, you can't man <laughs> exactly but the, that being said right Pep okay we, we I'm not saying Pep's word is the gospel but you do have options on the bench like I'm sure Alvarez might have been promised minutes Haaland is sort of you know I won't say he's notorious for having a injury like a injury track record, but he has suffered the odd um, injury that's kept him out for like maybe weeks on end at Borussia Dortmund. So perhaps a fixture like Nottingham Forest at home, yes, uh, it's it's kind of insane to to bench a player after a performance like that. But bigger picture. You maybe you save him for the weekend fixture doesn't sound too crazy and if for some reason if they really do need the services against Forrest you can always bring him on late so I, I don't know if you guys agree with that sentiment but I kind of don't really hate the idea that he doesn't start but yeah it's a tough sell to drop someone after a hat trick like much uh, like we talked about Firmino earlier I was having a conversation with my brother earlier on whether Haaland would be dropped for the Forest game or will he be dropped for the Villa game right now as it stands right I think with the way the teams are playing City at home to Forest is a much more difficult game than 
them playing away to Villa. Not mu- not that much of a hot take with the way Villa are playing mm. right now. Because I did catch the Forest versus uh, Spurs game and they did look good. Spurs kind of defended for their lives for parts of the game. Yeah, I I think mm, if if I were Pep, right? Because if you look at City's fixtures, they have Forest, which they'll be playing, I think, on Thursday. And then the weekend game against Villa. And then two days later, they play the Champions League game against Sevilla. So if I were a betting man, I think Haaland plays the Forest game. He gets rested mm-hmm. for the Villa game in time for the Champions League game at Sevilla. The Sevilla game. Yep. That's uh, I agree with Sash. I don't. I don't hate that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but I think um, you know, based on the, I think the recollection was uh, was towards um the final game of last season where City played against Villa, so I think Pat will definitely have that memory at the back of his mind, such that. Villa will be a team that will play in the way that definitely counters um, the way uh, City is playing at the moment. They are going to defend. I think Stevie G also can't afford to, to take any more L's. So I, I believe they're going to play conservative and just hit but, us full-fledged. Yeah, hit us full-fledged <laughs> with the counter. And I, I, I think the danger man uh, would be Coutinho. La. I mean, if, if he's able to utilize Coutinho in a way that he did in that final game last season, it could definitely spell trouble for, for City. But I think I definitely agree with my bro. Um, right now, Forest do look like a better team. You know, this team has bought like, I think they have bought almost at, and like, they have bought, bought almost like a full, like, like, a match this, day squad. Yeah, it's like, they bought almost, a full match day squad. <laughs> yeah, I think a match day squad is like 23 or, or something. They bought like, I think at least 18 or 19. So I think, we, with the the amount of uh, havoc they have done in the transfer market, they should be technically on paper more difficult than Villa. And Villa have been in a quite uh, poor streak of form. So I think, like, you know, based on my discussion with my brother, definitely it could be the case that um, Pep would play Haaland uh, tomorrow and then uh, rest him and give Alvarez a chance to, to play uh, against uh, Villa. Yeah. The more I think about it, I, I think maybe Pep's plan might have been to rest him against Forrest regardless. But the hat trick might have swayed his decision. Because like, yeah, it's also Forrest at home, you know, like Haaland's gunning for the golden boot. He might see that as an ideal chance to bag a couple, if not more. Uh it'll be interesting. I think this will give us a lot into the the insight of how Pep plans to to rotate his team um another player who i think uh seemingly was was on his way out but now seems to be uh almost pretty much nailed on in the squad is bernardo silva i think he deserves a bit of uh praise just not only for the game against palace but i thought he was excellent against newcastle and I think with the rumours of the Barcelona move finally being put to rest, he might um, go from strength to strength and find a way to coexist with KDB. Because not to say that I say coexist, but I feel like Bernardo is a bit limited once he plays with KDB. Just because of, of 
he has to change his positioning a little bit with De Bruyne on the field. I thought Bernardo was his best in a City shirt when, when KDB was out for, you know, that extended period. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the two of them are able to bring the best out of each other. And as I alluded to earlier, feed Haaland because that just seems to be the name of the game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Bernardo kind of reminds me of the modern day Iniesta. And I don't say that lightly because that's what he really reminds me of when he plays. They're both left-footed. Maybe Pep is trying to recreate. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I mean, he, I mean you, you, you can't deny that he's the closest thing to Iniesta. Like, the, the style that he plays in, uh, his ability to pick up a pass. I, I do remember, I think one of the passes of that game week was the game against Newcastle where he just... I mean, other than KDB's true pass to Bernardo, it was his ability to spot Gundogan making the late run for the first goal. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was... That pass was way underrated. Like, people don't talk about that pass a lot more than they oh, should. Oh, no, that was insane. The, yeah. the run and the f- everything about that goal mm-hmm. was insane. Yeah. I, 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 I do see that. I do see the comparisons. I see Bernardo... Um, I kind of picture Modric a lot when I watch Bernardo play. But I do like the Iniesta shout. Um, so, yeah, for all we know, maybe Pep is trying to recreate something here. But... Um, yeah, man, City, I, I would say two very favourable fixtures. Um, and it's a good thing that, you know, they, they got all three points against Palace because now it seems like at the top, uh, obviously still very early days, but them and Arsenal seem like to be the two real form teams. I know Spurs are still up there in the mix, Brighton as well. But like you mentioned earlier, Spurs are kind of toiling a little bit. You know, it's not been all their way. Yes, they're getting results, but they're toiling a little bit. Arsenal, um, we'll have to see how they do. Uh, ironically, they have a, a big fixture this weekend, which I think is a nice sort of jump-in point. Uh, they play Villa next uh, in midweek, which on paper looks like a a real gimme. Um, obviously, you know we, we both know that there's no such thing uh, as that in the Prem. And I know BK, if he's listening, is probably cringing because I might have cursed his side, but... The real test, I would say, is how they they perform against Man United at Old Trafford because I don't think they have a particularly good record. And, you know, United, yes, still a lot of question marks, but they're in a much better place now than they were maybe two episodes ago. And I'm mm-hmm. sure Nate will like chime in on this uh, real quickly, but we've got the two new... Boys probably gonna feature in some capacity against Arsenal. I think Casemiro already made his like debut as a substitute against Southampton. Anthony just signed for for United for like I think ninety five plus five mil, which mm-hmm. kind of blows my mind. But I'll reserve judgment on that for now. I don't think today's the episode to get into that. But how how did you sort of rate that performance against Southampton? Because yes. Um, the three points are important, but did you kind of see them build upon that display against Liverpool, or was it a bit of a let off in your opinion? Mm, I don't think it was a very dominant performance by any stretch. Um, the team still don't have a very strong identity in the style of play that they have. 
um, I'm starting to see some patterns, but then at the same time, we're starting to also realize that some players who are still currently in the squad are not really the answer. Um, a, a good thing that we've figured out is that uh, two matches, the first two matches with Maguire were losses, and the two matches without him were wins. So that's one very obvious <laughs> solution. Um, and and that has also um, made it even more evident not to chuck him under the bus, but um, to to see how Martinez, the new signing as well, has has fit in really well. I think he's still adapting to the game, but. Uh, and one thing about the the prem, I think versus a lot of other leagues is that there are a lot of the the attackers in the prem are really tall, um. So it's it's not, it's 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 strange. But if you look at the stats, it actually shows that he wins quite a lot of his aerial duels for someone who is probably about as tall as we are. You know, like almost like Asian height, if you would say <laughs> that way. He's really tiny. He's 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 extremely tiny, especially well, how when tall he stands is he? besides five, someone five like foot seven. Uh, I actually don't have the actual number. I think he's like one, like low, low one seventies. <laughs> have you seen him really? standing next to like the hair and stuff? He's like I a have. Full, like, yeah. <laughs> no, I would love to see him next to like Chris. <laughs> no, Wood no or if something. I'm not, if I'm not wrong, he's he's actually, if I'm not wrong, one seven five. Oh, ah, he okay. is. Yeah, he just, he's he, one yeah. seven five. He's uh, like around, around my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we're we're not professional footballers, so yeah. we can no, get away with that. No, but but I will say, but I will say that um, you know, for for Martinez, right? Despite like all of us, you know, bantering about his height, he uh he was actually really good. Like I was mm-hmm. watching I was watching the game with Nate and then we 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 actually took um uh keynote of Martinez yeah. because he was really excellent. Like, you know, instead of Maguire, right, he despite his height, right, he actually was, you know, meeting so much of the ball with his head. And that's yeah. something totally ironic. But who, who was know, he up against? Yeah. Was it Shea Adams? Shea Adams. Yeah, Shea Adams. Adams or um, sometimes Armstrong. Oh, uh, Armstrong, depending. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but oh, he that's was on really Hassan good. Hutel to play. Like, yeah. what the hell would you play Armstrong against, like, Martinez, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, kind of negates the whole height, but... Yeah, but I believe True. that Ma- Martinez already snacked, like, uh, I think, was it one or two Man of the Match awards? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And Honestly, for a player who just came in, yeah, that's quite remarkable. Right. If, you, if you close your eyes and you didn't, you didn't tell us who... who and you didn't know, right? You wouldn't have thought that he w- that it was Rafa Varane who is Champions League Rafa Varane. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Martinez looks like the better defender of of all the centre backs that we have right now. So, that's that's good credit to him, like, I think he's really. It's one thing to to come to to a new club where your old your old manager is at, and then him to give him the confidence to say like, I, I brought you here for this reason. I want you to become like a number one starter in this team. Uh, I think he's he's showing his worth right now. So that has been a really, uh, a really good thing uh, for United. Um, but overall, the performance itself is still kind of slow. I think that um, the movements against a team like Southampton, you kind of want United to take a bit more initiative. But actually, I would say the game was quite evenly matched. Um, the there was not many clear cut chances for both sides. So the game was really like just moving around the midfield area a lot um, until uh, the goal from from Bruno, which was probably United's best move of the whole game up to that point. And that's where you kind of wonder why don't they do this more? This sort of like um, 
like passing movement which you can kind of detect if, if no one's pressing you from the back then you can start the move and then you can finish it off the way that you want it to um this is what i think it looked like a training ground move if you saw the kind of movements that they were running uh and and it turned out to be to be to be great i mean the the goal was sublime i think that kind of volume is extremely difficult from bruno um so we have to give him credit for the goal but i, I was telling um uh lino as well like besides that that that, that goal Bruno has been kind of like, uh, I Hot would and give cold, him like right? maybe like a six for the rest of the game. You know, he's not very, he doesn't affect the game much. Um, and uh, I would say Ericsson plays a, a a bigger role in in the team right now in terms of um, transiting from defense to attack and 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 keeping the 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 ball moving. Whereas Bruno is like really a marauding player. He finds himself extremely on on the wing sometimes he drops do, really do you deep. think it's like an issue that we, we did point it out like last season in fkb that bruno does try to maybe do a bit too much do you think it's kind of in continuation of that or is it something that ten Hag has explicitly told that he wants out of him i think it's a an a, something to do with his his own style of of play like what he wants to do and and the fact that uh ten Hag is almost building a team around him in the fact that everyone else has very specific kind of roles like you're getting a center defensive midfielder someone in Casemiro to really like protect the back line uh, and you're getting someone with the same kind of distribution ability in Ericsson you're almost telling Bruno like actually now you can just stand wherever you want to affect the play you want to go to the right you can go to the right you want to go to the left you can go to the left you want to go in front play almost like a striker that's fine as well because all the other kind of key bases are covered um, so in that way, I think it may be interesting in the fact that hopefully, if th- if that works out, he we get to see a little glimpse of what we saw in his first season at United, where he can really be part of the attacking uh, front, so he can um, be taking more shots. I think he has a really good shot on him, and that's something that we didn't see much of him in the last season. He was doing a lot of like spraying balls from the back, so um, hopefully we see him. Um, just being more of an attacker in this in this season, um, but yeah, I don't think it's it's an instruction from the manager. I just mm-hmm. think that's his style. Yeah, all action a bit. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this, Nate. But uh, in our next recording, the transfer window would have slammed shut. So my question to you would be: this time next week. Is Cristiano Ronaldo still at Manchester United? I think the big question is, and it has been for the for the whole window, is who's gonna buy a thirty-seven year old? I'm hearing the Napoli. Is that it's Napoli? Napoli, yeah. Napoli. It just doesn't like. It just sounds fake. Like, no, I'm not. No disrespect to Napoli. They're a fantastic side, but I don't know. It's just. It just feels like very odd, but um, maybe Ronaldo just is so obsessed with the Champions League that he makes it work. It also doesn't help that he seems to have been, I won't say frozen out, but he's, he's kind of, the actions speak louder than words, right? Like he's not starting games. He's kind of coming on late on as kind of like In, a weird impact, impact sub. sub. Impact and I think mm-hmm. even against Southampton, uh, I didn't catch the game, but uh, I was hearing and I saw a few clips of Ronaldo, like his his attacks. 
he just seems a bit off it. Maybe it's a lack of mm. match fitness, but yeah, it's going to be hard for him to force his way back into the team because like you mentioned earlier with Maguire, th- I don't think Ten Hag will will have any reason to start breaking up this team that is you know picking up points. Uh yeah. So I yeah, agree. I, mean, I I think Kron won't be if if Napoli can can finalize a, a a deal in terms of not just with United but with Ronaldo himself in terms of like a sure. wage thing. And Do you think Ronaldo takes like a pay cut to play in the Champions League? Yeah, I think so. I think that's mm. that's that's more important to him at this moment. Kind of weird, uh, for a guy who's won so many Champions League, he sure seems awfully desperate to play in it. <laughs> I think I he know, wants like, to. He's going for records. Isn't you think he? it's for he's the World trying Cup? Trying to become. Mm-hmm. I think he's assured a place in the World Cup for for Portugal just because of his legendary status. But I think it's not even for Portugal. It's more like he wants regular game time because it doesn't look like he's gonna be getting it at United. Yeah, um, and especially if Martial comes back into fitness, um, mm, even that game against Liverpool, that. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Martial is a uh, has turned his uh, well, I can't say it right the now. Because injured, the Blondo or Dream is alive. <laughs> <laughs> the claws is still. I, I alive. think I think it's still <laughs> it's still a bit far, but he's yeah. he's definitely not the same Martial that went on loan to Sevilla. Mm-hmm. He's come back different, so um, tricky, especially now with Anthony as well. There's more um competition in the attacking uh area so uh I, I I would say Ronaldo to move seems like a a good kind of a scenario for all parties but it's not mm. so easy when you're trying to negotiate uh, with Ronaldo in terms of like the just the amount of money that it's he really demands. yeah it's really quite like a transfer saga yeah it, it's it's mm. quite bizarre because it's almost like a, a snake chasing its tail, right? Like, for Ronaldo wants to leave because, uh, or quote unquote, he feels that the club has like regressed, and he wants to play Champions League football, but then no Champions League teams want him for various reasons. And Money then, mostly. Yeah, it's just like it's such a weird transfer saga. And I, I, I mean, think you can't build a team around him anymore. You're only gonna like give him like a one yeah. year, two year contract at most. Yeah, it's not a it's not a project. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's it's the ultimate smash and grab. It's like let's get Ronaldo in, get through our group stage, and maybe you got a chance. But besides that, that's uh, you can't really see him as a long term uh build. So yeah, I think if it was anyone difficult. in that sort of age bracket that wasn't Ronaldo, they might have been content being like a break in case of emergency. You know, like. I think if it was Cavani, he might have been. Cavani went to sort Valencia, of, right? Yeah, but if if, yeah. if exactly, but if it was someone who was content being more of a mentor, being more of like a um, bit part player, yes, might have made sense. But I think Ronaldo is still, despite his age, still very ambitious. So, um, it's just kind of a. <laughs> And he can really still get you the goals. I think we saw him last season, even in a in a very struggling United team, he still managed to get uh what what was he like top four or five strikers in the in the league? I think he had like seventeen league goals. Something yeah. along, around there. Like and and a lot 20, in the Champions yeah. League as well. So he'll yeah. still get you goals. And a lot of very important ones. Yeah. Right. Very clutch goals. Um so 
would you want him in your team? Yes. Can you build a project around him and can you afford his wages? Is the is the is that the question that will that will heavenly affect whether you can finally mm. bring him in or not? Yeah. But um, if if Maguire goes to Chelsea, I'm all in for that. <laughs> I've I've seen the rumors. That that can't be real. Slow news day. I did not desperate that, enough, that but made up. It, I think if they didn't get Fofana, it's not that big of a stretch. Right, Sash? If y'all didn't get Fofana. Mm, I, I still don't believe like that Maguire link has any legs to it, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would have died if Maguire went to Chelsea, dude. I like, mean, who knows, man? Fofana could turn out like to be up. the French Maguire. But is he, is he inherently a bad player or is he just in the wrong system? I don't know, man. Like, I just think there are better options at the. Because we've point. always known that he's better playing in like a, a three, right? Mm-hmm. But in United, he plays mm-hmm. in a four. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, okay. But it's incredibly short-sighted, eh? Like, like because I'm not saying he is going to like leave Chelsea, but if, for example, Tuchel leaves Chelsea like midway through the season or even at the end of the season, then you have Maguire and you're like, what do you do with him, right? If you let's say the new manager wants to go to a back four, then you're kind of in the same situation as like at Man United. So funny story, but I am with Sash. I don't think that had really any legs. I just think it's exactly like what you said, right? It's probably like some editor at a newspaper is like, crap, it's a slow news day. Uh what are some of your wildest like rumors? And the guy was like, Hot What takes. about Maguire? BK. <laughs> and he's like you know what? I don't hate it. And then they just print it, and it's like suddenly Maguire to Chelsea like has legs. <laughs> so yeah, true. Yeah, I, I, but fortunately, I think those kind of have been quelled with the signing of Fofana. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chelsea have done very well to get him. I'm a big fan. Obviously, he had a big injury last season, so uh, and he's kind of not been in the right frame of mind for Leicester this season, so we haven't seen him back to his best yet. But alongside mm. Thiago Silva and Koulibaly, it could be, you know, could be a fearsome back line, which also finally allows Reese James to play as a right wing back, which yeah. he's been so Jeez. good in, you know, instead of being shackled at centre back. Why Why would Tuchel do that? Because he's bad. A genius, bro. <laughs> <laughs> bad. <laughs> Speaking about bad... Wait, uh, since, we're, wait yeah. since we're on the topic of Tuchel being bad, right? <laughs> what... This is something I've been very like sort of confused about because this has also been a transfer rumor, but it actually has legs. What the what's with the obsession with Anthony Gordon? Like, I explain to me. Know. Like, <laughs> it's a uh, I yeah, don't like, I don't understand. Go- Gordon, wait, Chelsea did submit a bid for Gordon in which Everton turned down, right? Was that the news? Yeah, and I was like, okay, that's the end of it. Okay, whoever <laughs> they just offered who, more money. Whoever sanctioned that bid, right, should be thrown into jail immediately, <laughs> because there's no way that <laughs> that that Gordon is worth sixty million. Like I, when I read the news, that right, was I the really second bid, right? It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like some. Down. F- Same is that like everyone is <laughs> just taking L's in this like deal, like, and then the yeah, latest like, I heard was. They were offering twenty five mil plus Gallagher, Broya and Gallagher, right? In a bit and yeah, Broya and Gallagher. Yeah, like I'm like, if you're Everton, Dude, you, that, you take the money. I would and take the that. Yeah, you take run. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So I, I don't even know what's happening. I would drive Gordon to Stamford Bridge, bro. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, it just nothing weird. makes sense anymore. Like, uh, we were talking yeah, about and, it previously. Uh, knowing my luck, Gordon is going to, like, bag a hat-trick this weekend against Liverpool, so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm just tempting fate, but yeah, gone Sasha, were the gone. days when eighty million British pounds would get you prime Ronaldo, right? Now it gets you. Oh, those days are long. Anthony gone, Gordon. <laughs> PSG I mean, made sure I like, of that. I like Gordon, dude, but he's, he's there's no way he's worth sixty five million. He's just like, <laughs> wait, I'm thinking, okay. bro. Like, what has he done? Yeah, it's it's sixty million really big now because. Anthony moves for close to 100 mil. He's also unproven. I mean, he's done more well, in his career is he, than Is that Gordon. also overrated? I guess I guess money is just a bit stupid Yes, now. but... Yeah. Ma- and there's a- the United a- tax. Anthony is... Yeah, it's the United tax. Um, he's Anthony, not even English. Like, <laughs> but I mean, Anthony has played in the Champions League. He has that going for him. Ten Hag has worked to him before. So, while I don't agree that like... Oh, it's not my money either, but I'm mean, like, yeah, 100 million is insane. Like, we balked as well when Liverpool splashed the cash for Darwin. I'm not saying I understand 100 million for Anthony, I'm just listing like the reasons why. It's mostly the United tax. It's really just United. Everyone and their nan knows United need like a rebuild. So they're willing to pony up. But with Gordon, the thing that I'm confused is that Chelsea have several players who are. At least on the same level as AG. In that and same position. Yeah, and like like Gordon, I like I've I've been reading that his main selling point is that he's very versatile, but I'm like, yeah, you're you're versatile, but you're not really excellent at any of those positions, you know? So I don't know. Uh I don't think that deal will go through just because I I'm think if Everton that it doesn't turned go down through, 65 man. Yeah. Yeah, if Everton had turned down sixty five, um I really can't see Chelsea going any higher, especially after mm-hmm. spending so much on like Fofana. Yeah. Um if anyone's gonna join Chelsea, it's gonna be like Alba, which um I think now it's pretty much between Barca and Chelsea. I think on personal terms it's been agreed, so I think that might be the final move for Chelsea. Maybe Broya going out, uh on loan or sold to someone but mm-hmm. yeah big moves from Chelsea uh, towards the end of the window and I mean speaking of big moves like probably your biggest signing of the window finally got off the mark yeah um, two very well taken goals mm-hmm. um, could have a hat trick finally showing some l- <laughs> what was that you said he should have scored a hat trick could, could have scored a hat trick though like there was one oh, shot right. where he hit the post. It was a last minute block, right? <laughs> mm. It was like a last ditch challenge. Uh, I think he needed that. I think if Sterling had blanked another game, suddenly like the you know question the naysayers, yeah, yeah, you know, you know how 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 we are, and it's also Sterling. He's kind of an easy target <laughs> for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a huge confidence boost for him. I w- I would have to say and. I wouldn't bet against him maybe not replicating but getting a decent performance and maybe a goal or assist against Southampton because Southampton are kind of like a mystery box right now. You don't really know what you're going to get. You yep. could get a hard fought 
one nil win for Southampton, or you could just see them like collapse and lose nine nil. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I man. kind of highly doubt uh, we'll score nine against any team the way we are playing right now. Just uh, maybe Norwich. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe back. Norwich. I mean, even even when we played Norwich, we only scored what seven goals against them. And yeah, that was when Mount was only, at his tip top best. Still yeah. good. <laughs> But right now, I think, like I said a few episodes before, I think Mount needs mm-hmm. to be dropped. It isn't really good showing when you're basically a team playing with 10 men and then you get subbed off during halftime and it's only after you've been subbed off that they manage to score two goals and look good while doing it and proceeds on to win the game. Who, you, who came on for, for Mount? Aspie. Yeah, Got so you. basically what happened was I think Aspie played uh, right, uh, sorry, right back, and then James got pushed up into that more attacking right wing position, and we automatically look much better because I think whatever the Mount did in the first half, it kind of hindered Sterling and Cucurella. But after Mount got removed from the first eleven, Cucurella and Sterling suddenly played really well. I don't really know what's the correlation, but it doesn't really look good on Mount at all. So I think for this particular reason against Southampton, he should get dropped. I think Pulisic will most likely play that right wing position. Or if Broya is fit enough, I think Havertz will play that right wing position with Broya trying out uh, his take, trying to take his chance at striker position because I really want to see what Broya can offer in that number 9 position with Havertz sort of playing a slightly deeper role instead of being that that striker up top because right now the focal point yeah, yeah it's not really working for him I, I think Mount and Havertz have had really slow starts to the season but yeah I'm, I'm gonna talk about Gallagher right like the two yellow cards mm-hmm. inexcusable both were extremely naive uh, mistakes from him but my main gripe with it is that like we, we all saw how well Gallagher played in Palace right it's because he is not a midfield pivot type of player. He doesn't really know how to position himself well. I mean, that comes with age, but for right now, when I think of Gallagher, I think of that tenacious, uh, tough tackling, really intense energy pressing type of player. And when you try to shackle him in that midfield too, you kind of, um, how do you say, you, you remove whatever is good about Gallagher's play style right now and I think that um, I mean it was kind of unfortunate that Gallagher got sent off and he's suspended for this game because I would really like to see him playing where Mount is playing right now yeah yeah I think that would be a better fit for Gallagher you know and probably with someone who's more able to play that midfield pivot behind him but um, yeah we we can't really yeah we can't really see that against Southampton right now because like I said, he's suspended. But one good thing is Koulibaly is finally back after he himself got sent off in the previous game. What are the odds there's another red card? <laughs> I think... <laughs> Who's going to be the dumbass this week? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I, we still look kind of rocky in terms of how we play. Still finding your yeah. feet a bit, I think. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's because we but have quite a lot of personnel changes as well. Winnable games. Yep. Southampton. I mean, last words, but <laughs> <laughs> we usually do okay against Southampton, but 
I'm not hanging my head on an easy win. Not no game is easy in the Premier League, man. Especially, like you said, Southampton, who is a team that blows very hot and cold. They could look like world champions one day and lose nine 0 the next. But like Bournemouth, yeah. yeah finger fingers crossed. <laughs> Sorry, <man>. Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of waiting for like the window to slam shut and the teams are finally like settled because right now I think a lot of dilemmas coaches are having as well is like they don't really know like if some some especially those players who are like unsettled like they can't really play the the formation and the 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 sort of perfect lineup they want because they don't know if this player is going to be around much longer or they don't know if like, someone else is coming in so I think we'll have a much clearer idea on what teams are going to look like um, come next weekend. But very quickly, like I know this wasn't part of like the, the rundown, but uh, I'm sure you guys saw that West Ham splashed the cash on like, Lucas Paqueta, uh, which goes back to my point on like teams kind of finding their feet uh, while they are sort of restructuring the team. And I, if you kind of zoom out, this West Ham team who coincidentally played Chelsea at the weekend... It's kind of unrecognizable from the one last season that did so well. Um, and I think, in a way, yes, on paper, they do look stronger, but it's also a gamble that Moyes and, and West Ham are taking because a lot of these players don't have Premier League experience. And when you're bringing so many players at once, like which I'm sure is going to go swimmingly well for Nottingham Forest because they've pretty much bought two like starting lineups. But for West Ham, right, I don't know how quickly they'll be able to gel. Do, do you all like have any, not just on West Ham, but do you all have any like thoughts on teams that just kind of try to change their 11 too quickly and too greatly at once? Speaking from what I saw when Lampard was at Chelsea in terms of when he was a manager at Chelsea, he kind of did buy almost an entire eleven. If you did remember, it was the summer where we signed Werner, Havertz, Thiago Silva. But that was Ibanaza. after the transfer ban as well, right? Yeah. And it kind of took a while for them to gel with each other. I mean, we are still having gelling problems up to this day because apparently they're not right, the right fit for Tuchel's system, but I digress. West Ham, they... I think they kind of need a freshening up of the squad because I kind of feel that the reason why they've started so slowly was because of post-fatigue from the grueling season that they had last season. You know, they had to balance between a the uh, Europa League competition as well as the trying to get back into the Europa League spots in the mm. Premier League. Which they, yeah. Yeah, they, they kind of failed to do so because right now they're playing in the on a relatively league. thin squad as well yeah. yeah so right now I think it's just like I said before post-season fatigue which takes a little while to shake the cobwebs off but with the signing of Lucas Paqueta I have to admit I don't really know much about him I, I, I kind of read that he's just this tenacious midfielder who could possibly kind of help with the whole um, Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek pivot because yeah. As good as Suchek is in attacking third, right? He's not really that 
good of a midfielder in terms of progressing the ball. I kind of liken him to Fellaini. Like, he's good when you kind of play him up top with a striker. Like, he's very good at, you know, getting the balls down, spreading it out wide. But in terms of doing the defensive um, side of the game, because he's a bit slow on the turn, he gets bypassed too easily. And with Lucas Paqueta, I don't know, he could turn out to be what uh, West Ham need. Or he I could think just if, turn out if to you be like, like Bruno Guimaraes, yeah. you would like mm-hmm. Paqueta. Really? Those two really brought the best out of each other at Lyon. Mm. And I mean, Lyon, to be to be fair, they did make quite a pretty penny on both of them. But that's like your two, pretty much your two best players, like just gone. Which <laughs> also shows that the Prem is pretty much the Super League because two like conference league chasing sites just like splashed out pretty much record like breaking fees mm-hmm. uh, on like the third best side in France so it just <laughs> says a lot about the power of the Premier League that is true but he also kind of turned out to be uh, like another Danielson I mean you always run that risk right which is why yep. I said um, I would have liked if West Ham maybe invested I do think a refreshing of the score was warranted but I'm not sold on Skamaka I think mm-hmm. I've just seen this type of signing way too many times and I I really don't know how he's going to pan out. Uh, I would have liked to have seen them gone for more like at least one or two Premier League like players that have, mm-hmm. you know, Premier League been proven there, quality. Like I'm not sold on Tilo Carrera either. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't really rate Tilo Carrera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emerson as well Kind of random from Chelsea I think you guys did very well to get <laughs> What was it 12 or 15 million for him Yeah with add-ons uh, But Just yeah, just, like, just to float <laughs> a thought Do you think Lucas Paqueta Was signed to be a Future replacement for Declan Rice I think West Ham In the dream Like in the ideal situation Would love Rice to just stay there Like Like what Kane is doing at Spurs but I think he's more of an insurance policy but if yeah. he flops this season and like goes back to like Lyon next season similar to what happened with Ndombele then they're kind of back to square one right uh, perhaps not even square one they might be in an even more compromising position mm-hmm. because then they'll need the funds to you know because uh, if, if Paqueta doesn't work out They'll probably like loan him back. They won't get their fifty million back, mm-hmm. and in sort of balance the books, they'll then have to start listening to offers for rice. So, yeah. Uh, long story short, I think they would like them to play together, but he's more of an insurance policy. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that's that's my take on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, since we are on potential frauds, right? I think Paqueta. I like him, but let's let's call a spade a spade. He's you know in the mix for uh, fraud watch. He just ticks all the boxes, right? Uh, since for well, this since week, we're on the topic, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll try not to nominate the entire Bournemouth team because uh, I think that's very low hanging fruit. Uh, for myself, <laughs> I've I feel like I've beat this drum every single week since the season has started but I can't look beyond Leicester there's just something about them dude and you, you, the bottom you of the, them this of the table right yeah Leicester. and I'm I'm yeah. not shocked 
they they have they've been woeful you know uh yeah I don't really have a particular pl- like I guess for player like uh, if I had to nominate a team it'd be Leicester again but uh I'm going to change it up and if I'm picking a player I'll, I'll pick Burn Leno because the goal <laughs> he gave up was exactly the reason why Arsenal sold him and I guess this comes full circle to the whole Leno Martinez debate which ironically <laughs> has just it's not even a debate anymore cuz they both kind of just regressed and mm-hmm. they're both not at Arsenal anymore so mm-hmm. Yeah, it just shows how much we know about football, but yeah, uh, I would have to go with Leno because that was like to do a, to drop a clanger at the club that you're trying to prove wrong is just pretty fraudulent, lah. I, I think it, it speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Or was it just Wenger doing some 4D chess? Because he did sign Leno, right? Probably. Did, you know, <laughs> Arsene Wenger, he's done it again. <laughs> Yeah. Um, for me, right? I mean, if you're done with your nomination, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, like I said, uh, two weeks ago. Steven Gerrard is on perpetual fraud watch, so I'm I'm just tossing him back there again until he gets sacked. It's a matter of I I think when he might be if. gone by the next time we are we are recording an episode, man. Yeah. Especially if the results if if they get spanked by Arsenal and City. Mm-hmm. Because I watched the ending of Villa West Ham, right? Uh they yep. were at Villa Park. And at the full time whistle, like the booze were like just deafening, man. Oof. Uh I didn't I haven't really been watching a ton of Villa games. And that was probably the first one I watched um pretty much in full and yeah, I think the fans have pretty much turned on him, which is unfortunate. But when you really analyze the results and the performances, it's it's you can't really argue with mm-hmm. that because I've seen Villa play twice this season, and both times they've played wildly different styles of of football. Like um, I think against Newcastle they played very narrow, or not Newcastle against West Ham they played very narrow. The other game I watched against Everton they uh, played. More like a a flat four four two, so. I mean, it, it, if I'm kind of confused, surely the players are, and surely the fans are. So yeah, there are a lot of reports yeah. about dressing room unrest. Like Bailey wants out. Tyron Mings is just faking, uh, allegedly faking an illness. Um, McGin, who is the ca- club captain, he got a he was given club captaincy over Tyron Minks this season like uh, I, I haven't seen him actually done a post-match you know interview Konza is doing the, all the post-match interviews for some reason over McGinn I think Watkins is also on not very good terms with Gerrard so it's just turmoil right now and if Scotty uh, like Scotty Parker getting sacked was like a huge uh, surprise you know it, it came out of the blue but I think the bookies' favorites before knowing Parker got sacked was uh, mm. Gerard would have been the bookies' favorite to be the first manager to be sacked this season. So I I think a bad result against Arsenal. I think Gerard's head will roll because, as you can see, uh, owners are pretty ruthless right now. They 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 want like a a, a quick remedy to the current situation. So. 
Yeah, I just I I don't see Gerard surviving the weekend. Yeah, I do agree with you on that. I think a big part of that is the fact that he, it's not even that he's spent a lot because I think most of the big money was the window before he came in with like Dean Smith, but it's his inability to get the best out of like you know your your Luca Deans your Buendias, your Leon Baileys, even like Danny Ings and Watkins, you know, they, they just, no one in that team really knows their role. I think at most clubs, it's very important to have an unspoken hierarchy. Like, you kind of know your your general, like, starting eleven, you know, with a few exceptions who come in uh, and out of the team. But with Aston Villa, apart from the back four, I can't really name you, like, their starting eleven. Like, I thought... Um, Jacob Ramsey was a shoe in But even he didn't start against uh, West Ham So Yeah I, I think It's a bit desperate at this point Like Stevie's just kind of like Throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks um, So yeah it, Obviously Tat- for I me like from a personal point yeah, of view I think it's, it tactically sucks, inept, yeah, I'm not, too, I'm not yeah, too shocked Like tactically inept was The label that some Villa fans Were giving Gerard And to have your mm. own fans turn on you, I think it's just a matter of time before he gets replaced. But yeah, I think they are very interested in getting Pochettino to be the replacement, or rather, I heard Graham Potter as well. But I mean, yeah. I don't see Potter leaving Brighton at this point and in time. V- Villa will have to pay like an enormous amount to get Potter oh, off his yeah. contract, man. Yeah. Mm. Oh, big time. And yeah, Potter is like flying high now. Uh, yeah, I don't think Bre- it's particularly are good, man. a massive step up as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I would say Bright- Brighton are fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Fun to watch, but not in like a free-flowing kind of way. I don't think that's what you're going to get with Brighton, but they just mm-hmm. have they just this know, They just know what they're them. doing. Yeah, Everyone knows that. Yeah, like, their first 11 is more or less set most of yeah. the time as well. You know mm-hmm. who who's in that team mm-hmm. and who's playing and which is so and important. What you expect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what yeah. impresses me the most about Brighton is that they've sold perhaps their two, like maybe it's debatable, but they've sold their two best players in Bisuma and Cucurella, and it just doesn't seem like they're missing them at all. You yeah. know, which is just and a their mark striker, Maupe. Maupe, right? Yeah, the most like speaking of Maupe. Most Everton signing ever, <laughs> like, si- like you need goals. You have Solomon Rondon. You buy Neil Mopé. Like, what the hell happened? What the hell happened to Everton, bro? I, I mean, yeah. Beats Once me, again, bro. I'm not trying to tempt fate. I don't want Mopé to score against us this Saturday, <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. How do you go from like? Being able to attract Carlo Ancelotti and like James Rodriguez to like Neil Mopé, man. I digress. Uh, who who else has a fraud watch nominee? Nate. Yeah, I've got one, but he's not technically a new player. Um, and and I would say this. I actually thought it would be the other player who's actually kind of looking to take his pay, uh, his place, and that is actually um. So my fraud watch nominee is Son. I feel like Son has had a really bad start to this season he uh, for his fair. standards. He he, yeah, yeah. And and the person that I thought when would he got be subbed off, he looked very um, 
fall yeah. on. Like he just he he knew that he didn't play well and he's 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 really yeah. not sharp. There were a, I think there was a really clear chance that I thought he was gonna score. He had when he took a shot. Um, I think he was. It was almost like in his in that position where whenever you find Son in like just uh the edge of the box, like you know he's probably gonna bury it from there. Um, but he's just not clinical, which is something that he's really known for. Uh, looking at his stats, he's he's only got one assist so far, no goals, um, and and I don't think he's getting a lot of like uh joy because like Kulusevski is the one who is now supplying uh Kane a lot, uh, and and so yeah, the person that I thought would that I would think would be on fraud watch would be his uh will be Richarlison, Richie. but yeah, Richie. Yeah. But in the end, um, he's not doing too badly. He got the assist to to um Kane's goal so yeah son I don't really know what's going on but yeah there's a I, question I, to everyone right in in this situation I actually I'm really glad you brought it up because I had this exact same conversation with a friend uh like thing a couple of days ago what do you do in a position like this he's like probably your key you're like your your star man alongside Harry Kane do I would say he was the bigger the star last season, bit? right? Last season, he was even more... Um, sure, yeah. but I think collectively, you know, as a unit, like, these are the two untouchables la, in this first yep. team. But yep. would you take him out and use the squad that you have this season to kind of let him just take a break? Maybe um, just find that killer touch back in, on the training pitch? Or do you just... Stay with 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 your someone who's coming clutch for you so often and let him play out of this sort of bad run of form. I think it gets even more tricky with the fact that um last season, let's say if he if he had this kind of rough patch, uh you would you don't really have a replacement for him, but you have just bought uh Richarlison who is ideally uh almost can fit in exactly as a one to one replacement for him. Um and and he didn't come in exactly on on low money as well so, uh I would say if you're the manager that brought in that new player, it's a bit more tricky because now you would feel like, uh it's much easier to to take Son out of the team and then let give this guy a run in the team because he would have also been telling you like, Gaffer you have to give me a chance you brought me in and now you don't want to play me it's a bit strange so, in that scenario mm-hmm. Son may be feeling the pressure of. This is this is what you want. You want competition in the in the squad, but it it could always go two ways. It could be like, oh, you've actually got a replacement, and in that case, um, then it may turn out to be him looking for a move elsewhere if his situation doesn't improve. So if the if the coach takes him out, uh, Rich, Richie gets a run in the team for like four or five games straight. I think that's not gonna sit well with Son. So it's a bit tricky. I would say maybe take him out from the next game. Um, just let him kind of cool off, and then and then put him in the game after that, uh, and then see if he finds his form from there. But hard to say. Mm. Yeah, but I don't think he'll move in this I, window. <laughs> it's yeah, and hard la, hard sell. I think if Son were to have left, it would have been maybe a year ago, or if he even. I think a year ago was his jumping off point from Spurs, but now I think he's just gonna be there till he's like done. Uh, mm-hmm. I also think maybe Perisic and Sessegnon like 
the positions they are taking up on their left side now maybe intrude into his space a little bit as well. Um, every time I watch Spurs play now, it's like that left wing back um, slash left winger spot is just they just play so damn high now. I I don't think it was as prevalent last season. Uh, maybe because they were playing. No, Regulon was playing up there too, right? wasn't he? He he also goes d- up a lot. Actually. But I feel with Perisic, he has the ability to like cut inside. Reguilon was very much like you know a crosser, whipping balls in. Yeah, 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 exactly. But with Perisic, he's like has a bit of that son like cut inside the a bit. Um, right. So when he does that, then where does song go? Right. A little bit. Maybe they have to just work that out on the on the training pitch, but. Yeah, good shout. Uh, never thought I'd hear Son being called a fraud, but <laughs> here we are. Uh, Lionel, uh, do you have one last up, bef- last one before we sort of wrap for the night? Yeah, I do. Actually, this guy, I think in um, the season before, I think he was the talisman of his team. He was definitely one of the most exciting players um, last season. He was definitely uh, one of the the most value for money uh, fantasy Premier League asset and I think by now you guys already have uh, some some names in mind but um, for clarity it's Jared Bowen he has mm. been uh, I think comparati- comparative to last season this season he has been abysmal like um, they, I did catch a couple of West Ham games here and there um, he for certain games he has been just uh Absent totally. I think the first game where West Ham was playing against uh, City, I didn't even see him touch the ball for at least five times through the entire game, and like um he has been he's been really poor. He looks he looks like uh, a man that is past his past his prime. Like he only had a one he he could maybe I mean it's harsh to call him a one season wonder, but that actually could be the case because he really looks poor. And I think um. It's it's a great shout that I think uh Nate brought up um Son because similar to Son, uh Bowen is also looking really, really uh really, really poor uh this season. Uh, and you know, could be suffering the same fate as Son, but Son is definitely much more of a decorated player. A decorated in the sense that he just got a golden boot uh, last year. But definitely more successful player than Bowen and I think um Coupled with that fact is that the entire West Ham team are not looking good. They don't look like yeah. the formidable West Ham that we saw last season. Like West Ham last season was a team that you do not want to play against. I mean, it's it's quite um, it's quite clear that um, th- there's a stark difference in their performance this season, and uh, because of the way the team is playing, Bowen has also Bowen is actually flying under the radar. And I think Declan Rice has been a lightning rod for all the criticism. But if we l- if we just look in between the lines, read in between the lines, right? Actually, Bowen has been one of their most uh, poor players this season. And I think uh, in their recent game, um, he also missed a sitter, if I'm not wrong. So um, I think all these things are really um, hurting his confidence. But it it kind of just shows that you know Bowen is not looking like the player. That we expected him to be based on how he was performing last season. Hundred percent. Is his position agree. under threat uh, by any new signing, or 
No, he's, I think I think he's, he's quite cemented. I think he's quite cemented. Maxwell yeah. Corny. He's quite cemented. Probably, probably there. Probably him. <laughs> Cornetto. Mm. But he seems it like depends Moise how likes to play Moise him. wants to play Cornetto. Yeah, uh, did I say Cornetto? Wants to play Corny. Such Cornetto right now. Yeah, uh, because <laughs> Burnley kind of played him as a striker, right? But I would imagine that Moyes would would play him on the wing. So yeah, I think if Bowen were to be dropped, uh, Corney would slot in pretty nicely. But I think with Bowen is interesting, lah. We've seen a lot of players kind of have phenomenal like breakout seasons and then just sort of fade away. I think it's a bit too early to count him out. But at the same time, I I do agree with Lionel that Bowen has massively underperformed. But then again, um, maybe it will become clearer when West Ham pick up results and Bowen is still sort of missing. But right now, I think you could lump any of the West Ham players into that. Uh, a bit fortunate to beat Villa at the weekend. I thought both teams perhaps good value for a draw. But yeah, Bowen um, right up there. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate for him because if the World Cup had taken place in the summer very likely would have made the squad maybe even started like a couple group games but if he continues to sort of disappoint uh, he might not make the flight to Qatar come November so yeah we'll see but yeah I really like all those nominees from Fraud Watch um, and with that unless anyone else has any parting comments uh, I'll take us away for the evening so we can enjoy some football uh, both tomorrow and the weekend. Any any parting comments, gents? I think I just have a quick shout uh, uh, to all FPL managers out there. Hashtag Salah. Hey. Man is going to come back with a vengeance. Then, no, it's, you know, you want to know why he hasn't scored? Because he did another stupid interview. Liverpool oh, players did? need to stop giving like random ass interviews because oh, it always he bites them on the ass. It was just like a sit down interview with Sky and they were talking about his goals for the season. And this was right before the United game. <laughs> so yeah, the less said the better. Mm-hmm. Alright, um, that being said, thanks everyone for listening. Um, hope you enjoy the midweek games if you are brave enough to Stay up and destroy your body clock. Uh, but if not, we have some cracking fixtures of the weekend. Merseyside Derby to kick things off. And Man United Arsenal to wrap things up. As well as the transfer window slamming shut. So I'm sure next week's episode will be action-packed. Can't wait for you guys to tune in again. But yeah, until next week, uh, have a great evening and we'll see you in the next episode.